If you can turn your Bibles. Oh, wait. Well, we're going to pray for the offering real quick. I'm sorry. Um, I'll just pray for it. Let's pray for the offering. Father, we thank you, Lord. Um, Lord, we thank you for your blessing, your abundance. And we ask that you would just bless what we have to give back to you, Lord. Father, you've already given it to us, so we're just returning it. And Father, as we return it, we ask you to bless every penny, Lord. And Father, that you would use it uh, the way you would see fit to use it, Lord. That you would help us to be wise <coughs> and uh, to place it in those places, Father, that grow tenfold, a hundredfold, a thousandfold, a millionfold. And Father, to bring glory to your name. And we just praise you. Bless this offering, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So if you can open in your Bibles to John chapter 21. John chapter 21 and verses 7 through 17. scriptures in here. But these two main portions of scripture, you know, I really got this from the Lord this week. I was praying, uh, I think it was Monday or Tuesday, and I just really felt led to this portion of scripture for myself, basically. And so all week is getting the sermon ready, and I got it ready last night, and I usually get up at four on Sunday morning and kind of touch everything off. And uh, but we were watching last night a uh, minister and I, I, I kid you not, every single scripture that I have in here, he had in his sermon, and it blew me away. I was like, wow. So the Holy Spirit must have been speaking to both of us this week. But, um, but in John 21, verses 7 through 17. And I'm going to read it out of the Amplified, so um, you know, whatever you, version you have is inferior to the Amplified. So. But follow along. I'm just kidding. <clears throat> King James is clearly superior, so... Um, no, I'm just kidding. All right. Start with verse 7. It says, Then that disciple John, whom Jesus loved, esteemed, or esteemed, said to Peter, It is the Lord. They saw the Lord on the shore here. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer tunic, for he was stripped for work. And he threw himself into the sea, and he swam ashore. But the other disciples came in the small boat, for they were not far from the shore, from shore, only about a hundred yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out on the beach, they saw a charcoal fire set up and fish on it cooking in bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net to land full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew without any doubt that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he had risen from the dead. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these others do with total commitment and devotion? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you with a deep personal affection as for a close friend. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Again, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And I'm going to skip the little parentheses. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you really love me? 
And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You know, we're creatures of habit. And we get so caught up in what we've been doing. And we don't even know why we started doing it in the first place, really. You know, when we get in this mode where we just do what we do. But we're creatures of habit. And the fact is, is when we get into those modes and we go through life and we do things as normal, it, it just feels good, so we just keep doing it. It feels right, so we just keep doing it. Even when it leads us into something that we don't want to get into, we might, may keep doing it. People try to speak with us, maybe. They say, hey, you know, why don't you try this? Or why don't you try that? Or why don't you do things a little differently? Or... You know, you, you, you may, may be in a bad spot here or something's happening there. Why don't you try something different? And, and it's hard for us to receive it sometimes because we're, we are in such a, a habit and a way of doing things in our life. We say things like, well, that's just who I am. Well, you know, I've done this for years, things like that. But the fact is, a lot of us get stubborn. I don't know about you, but I tend to get stubborn. And we tend to, you know, perseverate on things that we know is right. And just for the fact that we think they're right and believe they're right, we'll stand on it in the face of contrary evidence. There was a man who was known for being very stubborn. And he was found brutally beaten and killed. And after a thorough police investigation, there was no clue to who the killer was. They couldn't find him. And so the funeral came and friends and family were all gathered around. And the, body, the man's body was put in a coffin. It was ready to be buried. And they lowered the coffin into the hole and it, it wouldn't fit in the hole. And so they turned it the other way and they tried to put it in. It wouldn't fit in the hole. And so they take the coffin out and they go and they measure the hole and they dig the hole out to the measurements of the, the coffin perfectly, make sure there's, the hole's big enough and they start to lower the coffin back in and still it doesn't fit. And they do it again. They pick it up and put it back down and it still doesn't fit. And finally a guy in the audience gets angry and he screams out and he says, you see, oh my word, he goes, this is exactly why I killed him. <laughs> We read Mark 14. <laughs> when we read Mark 14, we see Peter was stubborn. And we see this a lot when you look through the Gospels and you kind of read about Peter. He's stubborn. You know what I mean? He, 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 he thinks he's right. He determines that he's right. And in the face of contrary evidence, he declares that he's right. Even we see, when we look back at, at Mark 14... Um, we see that Peter's warming himself by the fire. You know the story that um, you know Jesus has dinner with the disciples. It's the uh, the Passover meal. You know he's uh, this is his last meal before he goes uh, to be crucified. And Jesus says, it talks to Peter about you know the fact that Peter's going to deny him, and he says, certainly not. You know I'm not going to do that. And so Peter finds himself by the fire. As Jesus is being led away to be crucified, he's in the courts, and Peter's outside the courts by the fire, surrounded by unbelievers who are declaring to him, Wait a minute, you're one of those people. And Peter denies it. You know, no, I'm not. I don't know the man. I don't know Jesus. You know, and, and so even in the face of rebuke from the world, Peter is not listening. Peter has shut off his ears, even when it was forecasted that this all was going to happen. Sometimes we become stubborn saints, don't we? We get to a point where we're, we feel like we're growing and then all of a sudden the growing stops and we become stubborn saints. And I find myself in a position at times where I become a stubborn saint. 
regardless of what my friends tell me, regardless of what my family tells me, regardless of what anyone tells me, I am determined to stand my position and not listen. But I, I came up with a couple characteristics of what a stubborn saint looks like, and here it is. They won't listen to direction in the face of contrary evidence. They won't submit to any teacher. They won't recognize the fact that they're weak because they try so hard to be strong. You know, isn't that a stubborn saint? And we don't want to be stubborn saints. And we don't want to be like Peter, although we find ourselves in places where we're just like Peter. Psalm 32, 9, it says this. It says, Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bridle and rein to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. And this is Peter, as Jesus is trying to tell him, you know, Peter, you're going you're gonna to fall away. Peter, you're going to stumble. And Peter's like, no, not me, Lord. And in our, our bravado, you know, when we understand and we're, we're told from Scripture, you know, that the human body, the human person, the human uh, being is a weak person, we would still stand in bravado sometimes and say, certainly not, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm good, you know. I can go as close as I want to sin and I'm going to be all right because I'm strong like that. You know, we get that bravado. We get that stubbornness and it leads us into bad places. In Mark 14, 27 through 30, Jesus says to the disciples, he says, all of you, you will all fall away and be ashamed and be afraid to be associated with me as disciples because it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee but Peter said to him, even if they all fall away and desert you, ashamed and afraid of being associated with you, yet I will not do so. Jesus said to him, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny that you even know me three times. And we know the story. And Peter denies Jesus. And I, you know, I've thought about what would it be like, you know, you've been walking with Jesus Christ for over three years three and a half, and you know this man, you have come to love this man, you have understood that this man loves you, you understand that he's the Savior of the world, you understand all the miracles that you've seen, you understand all the healings that you've seen, you understand the, the transfiguration that you have seen, and the glory that was displayed before your own eyes, but yet you deny Jesus and think about what would be going through Peter's mind. Think about the failure that would be going through Peter's mind when he experienced something like that. You'd be devastated. Here's the, the Savior of the world at the pinnacle of human history. Comes on the earth. He gets ready to go to the cross. He's going to be crucified in the middle of this, this climax of all human history. You deny him. And could you imagine, you know, when I do something bad, the enemy comes on me hard and fast. And he plays with my mind. And he tells me how bad I am. You'll never pick up. You'll never be different. All that. Can you imagine doing this? And how the enemy would just play with your mind and condemn you. It would be horrible. It, it must have been intense. So Satan probably had a field day with Peter. And it's times like this when you feel like all is lost. You know, that things will never change. I'll never be any different. You know, we, we go through those cycles. You know, I'll always be like this. And, and it's crushing. It can be crushing. Have you ever felt like that you've done something that made God turn his back on you? 
that maybe life changed, and, and as life changed, circumstances changed. You know, characteristics of life changed. You know, things got harder for you. Bills came in more abundantly. Relationships turned sour. Something happened, and all of a sudden it feels like God turned His back on you. And then you, you equate it back to this one time when I did this, and it seemed like after I did that that everything changed for me. And God isn't talking to me anymore. And we think like that. We feel lost. Maybe we feel like we've, we've missed the promises of God. That God gave His promises at one point, but they're not being fulfilled now because we messed up. Maybe you've heard you've even denied Him. You know, maybe you've heard it in your head. Maybe, did you deny Him? Did you turn your back on Him? Maybe He didn't turn His back on you, but you turned your back on Him. And now what? Maybe we've just been stubborn like Peter. And we all kind of have that mule face once in a while. You know, where we're just so stubborn and won't change, won't turn. But we have sometimes in us a, a fight against a God who desperately loves us and wants us. And the whole point of God doing what he did for us is just to bring us close. That's it. He's not mad. He hasn't turned his back on us. He hasn't forgotten any of his promises. And in our muleness and our stubbornness, he's still trying to bring you close to him. And whatever it takes, he's going to try to do that because he's just bought you to bring you near. And many times we don't listen. And we want things our own way and we wonder why God keeps putting up with us. We feel like Peter did. Many times I feel like Peter did. And you know, I think if I put myself in the same circumstances, Peter, what would I do? You know, you have death all around. You've got the threat of death all around and, 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 and you're in the middle of this heightened sense of urgency and, and conflict and everything that's going on. And what would you say when you're in that situation. Maybe we deny Jesus. But I'll tell you what, reading that makes me, inspires me to want to live boldly for Jesus Christ. <clears throat> but there's a contrast. There's two people here at this time that are going to kind of the same thing. You know, Peter denies Jesus in the garden and right before they go to the garden, you have Judas who also more than denied Jesus. You know, he betrays Jesus he gives them up for 30 pieces of silver. And there's two ways that these denials and betrayals are handled and how they both come out. They come out in different ways. You've got Judas who betrays Jesus for the silver. He, he, he understands what happens after he does this. And is there regret? Probably. There's self-pity, certainly. And he returns the silver, but... In his self-pity and his, his anguish, he turns to himself and ultimately hangs himself. But Peter is different. And what he does is, is much different because he denies Jesus. But after he denies Jesus, he instantly knows that the cock crows and he weeps bitterly. He weeps bitterly because this here's the difference is Judas betrayed an associate. Peter betrayed friend and a love. And so when Peter comes to the realization that this is what I've done, I've betrayed a love, he weeps bitterly. And there is godly repentance, godly sorrow that leads to repentance. That's the difference between the two. And so we've got to be careful 
when we have done something we think is so bad, don't turn away, but turn to Him. Bring all of your sorrow, bring all of your failure, bring everything that you think has missed the mark to Him in repentance. It's a big difference. There's three things that I kind of picked out of these verses and I just want to go through three of them. And the first one is when we jump to the scriptures we read at the beginning in John in chapter 21, we see a different Peter here. It's the same Peter who failed. It's the same Peter who you know, probably was still having those feelings, but his response was not one of running away or, or turning away, but it was one of running to. And so the first point I want to make is, is that Peter just ran to Jesus. In his desperation, in his despair, he didn't run away, but he decided, I'm going to run to the Savior. I'm going to run to the man that I love, the brother, the Lord of my life. I'm going to run to him. And so he still has this thought, I'm sure, of, of things that weren't completely right. You know, things that were left undone. But he jumps in the water. He starts running as fast as he can. And someone said, you know, here's Peter. He's jumping on the water. And before he walked on the water... But now he sinks right to the bottom. There's no walking on the water anymore. But he's still, he's running towards Jesus. The first time he's walking towards Jesus, he's on top of the waves. But now he's in the waves. But he's still running towards the same Savior. And he was doing something that he always knew before. He said, you know what, I'm going fishing. And have you ever felt like that? I think I've heard a sermon about this where you, you feel like a failure. You feel like you no longer are, are, are a believer anymore. You feel like you're not worthy anymore. And so you do what Peter did. You know, I'm just going fishing. I'm just going to do what I've always done. I, I was trying this over here and I, I didn't do so well at it. So I'm going to put that down. I'm just going to do what I used to do. I'm going to go back and do that because that's comfortable to me. And I think I'm, I could be pretty good at this. You know, so we kind of pick up those things that we think we're good at. And we try to get away from the one that we were following before. And we settle for something that's familiar to us. But it's not what we need for our future. It's the thing we don't really need for our future, but what we do need is, is our Savior. And so Peter probably has these feelings of failure. And can you imagine going back to Jesus and you got this failure in your heart and in your mind? And Jesus, I betrayed you. Jesus, I denied you. But yet he's running back. It reminds me of the prodigal son, you know, who was totally out of sorts, who lived this riotous life, who you know, spent all his money, all his inheritance, and, and he ends up in a, a, a pig trough. You know, and he's eating the slop. And, and as he's eating the slop, he finally comes to himself and he realizes, wait a minute, you know, my father has food for a king, fit for a king. You know, what am I doing here? I'll just go back and I'll repent. And the thought comes to him, maybe I should just repent. And so he goes back to the father and on the journey to the father, he knows that he's betrayed his father. He knows that he spent his money foolishly, and he doesn't know the welcome he's going to get. You know, I, I, can, I can identify with that. I remember being away from my home for so many years, and when I went back, you didn't know what the reception was going to be like because you stayed away so long. And this man has the same idea. You know, what's this reception going to be? Because I've been away so long, and I've done things in my life that haven't been okay. But when he comes back to the Father... The response is not what he expects. And many times when we come back to Jesus, we expect a, a response of rebuke. 
we expect a response of, of condemnation, we expect a different response than we ever are going to get because when we come back, what we receive is open arms and overwhelming love. Amen. And here's Peter running back. And what's so great about Peter is even though he would put his foot in his mouth and even though he was stubborn, he was so quick to go back to Jesus. He wasn't going to allow his failure to keep him from the Savior. Don't allow your failure to keep you from the Savior. He wasn't allowing fishing nets. He wasn't allowing day-to-day -day life. He wasn't allowing the other disciples or the things around him to stop him from running to the very one that he denied. And you know, we can pick up so many things. And especially as we get into sin. We pick up everything else around us to make up for how we feel and the failure that we've brought on ourselves. Don't we? I'm just going to watch some TV tonight. And I'm not feeling very good. And I, you know, in your heart, you know this isn't right. So I'm just going to do something else that isn't going to benefit my soul at all, but it's going to benefit my flesh. So let's, let's turn it on, man. I'm going to watch six hours of, of uh, what do they do now? They, what's it called when you binge, binge watch? You know, I'm going to watch every episode of whatever it is, you know, and... I'm going to feel like complete trash when I'm done, but it's going to be all right. And, but it's, yeah, it's good stuff. But, you know, you tend to do that. You know, you pick up all this stuff instead of just running back, running back to the Savior. Psalm 103.14 says, For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. You know, when, when I've considered myself to be high and mighty, or to a place where I thought I knew something, God has reminded me many times that you know what, you are but dust. And no matter what I did and how I thought I've got myself out of God's will or how I brought myself to a place of, of rebuke and correction and everything else, He had to remind me over and over again the only reason that I'm saved is Him, not me. The only reason that I've ever made it to this point is because He called me and I came. He brought me. Why I so concentrate on my failure and, and my ability to stay when the only reason that I've stayed is because what he did. But I tend to focus on those things. It should be the very fact that we're failures that should propel us into the arms of the Savior. The very fact that you're a failure. Let your sin drive you into the Savior's arms, not away from them. Because if we waited to be good, to come to the Lord, we never would come at all. Amen. Have you let your sin keep you from Jesus? Maybe you feel like you've let him down. Maybe you feel like you don't add up. Maybe you feel like you went too far. Now's the day when you turn around and you start running to him because he's waiting for you to come and restore you because in his arms you will find rest and grace and peace. 2 Corinthians 7.10 It says, For godly sorrow that is in accord with the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation. And I love that. A repentance without regret. You know, so many times we repent and we regret. We repent and we hold on to the regret. You know, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And then we hang on to it like it's some, you know, Samsonite baggage that looks great in it with our accessories and everything else, you know. And it's like, just let it go. Repent and without regret. Let the regret go. Because you know what? If we lined everybody up 
and we started talking about regrets, I think we'd all be surprised to see how much regret we carry around. As if, you know, I think sometimes as if we think we're special and we have this, this one regret that, you know, I can't, I'll never be able to forget it. I'll never be able to let it go. But if we lined everybody up and we had a talk and a conversation and we compared, we'd probably see everybody does the same thing. And we're no better or no worse. We're exactly the same. And we hold on to those things. And when we turn to Jesus and we decide, I'm going to run, we always get what we don't deserve. We always get what we don't deserve. And we come running to Christ and we know we have this thing. We come running to Him. We have this fear of rebuke and it keeps us from running back in the first place. We stop the running because we have the fear of rebuke. And you know, if you sat down and you, you, you interviewed everyone, you'd probably find there's a, a fear of rejection in every single person that they fear being rejected by someone else. And that fear of rejection will keep them from coming back, especially to the Savior of their souls. Some people are so rejected that they hurt other people closest to them out of the fear of rejection. That I have such fear of rejection that I'm going to hurt this person first because I'm scared they're going to reject me. And so it, the cycle goes on and on and on, but... Don't allow it to keep you from the Savior because He'll never reject you. Here's Peter. He's running to the shore. He catches this huge net of fish. And, you know, kind of when I think about that, I think about, you know, when we go out into the world and people have their accolades and, and they're good at this thing or they're good at that thing. And they think when they bring that to Jesus, He's going to pat them on the back and say, wow, you did a good job. But none of that matters. Not one thing matters. And so Peter drops the net, the thing that he was so familiar with. And he starts running. They have this huge net of fish. But the funny thing is, is they, they have this huge net of fish, which Jesus told them to, to drop the net. They weren't, they weren't finding anything. They weren't fishing and, and catching anything. But Jesus, once again, throw your net on the other side. They catch the fish. And so as they're, Peter's running to the shore, he had no expectation that he was going to have to use those fish at all. And there was no expectation of Jesus to use those fish at all, even though Jesus told him to go and catch the fish. But he runs to shore, and what does he find on the shore? And this is what blows me away. He doesn't find a Jesus who's ready to rebuke him. He doesn't find a Jesus that's angry at him. But Peter finds Jesus, who is now the resurrected, glorified Jesus. And obviously he's in a glorified body, but he's not completely glorified on the earth, but he's resurrected but it is the glorified, resurrected Jesus. And they have this net of fish. It's out in the water still. And so Jesus, I mean, uh, Peter comes to the shore and he never gets rebuked. He doesn't experience any anger, but what he experiences is the Lord of glory making him a meal. And, and sometimes we expect to come back to Christ and we expect to hear, you know, why'd you screw up? Why did you do this? You know, remember that from a long time ago? Let's talk about it. He, he, you expect that. But what you don't expect is when you come into Jesus, and he's not mentioning, he's not rebuking, he's not doing anything, but he's serving you in your fallen state that you declare yourself to be. He's serving you and making you a meal. That's the Jesus that we experience when we run back to him. He's a glorified Jesus, but he's a humble servant. And his response to us is a response of love and provision. And that's, that is amazing to me. 
that even in the depths and the deep the recesses of our mind or where we think we have failed, when we come back every time, Jesus gives us this response of love and provision. And that the thing about love that astounds me so much, and, and it really astounded me when I experienced it, was the worst sinner in the world will not be able to comprehend a depth of love like that. And a, the worst sinner in the world, when he experiences that depth of love, will change him forever. And you say, what can change a man? And you know, sometimes we sit around and we talk, think about people and you think, man, they're never going to change. You know, they've been like that for 30 years. <laughs> and and you, you think that. You've seen them. You've seen the walk. But I'll tell you what will change them is that depth of love that they've never experienced before. And when we look around, we see people that are hurting because everyone's hurting so bad this day and age. Many people we know that have grown up, they've grown up without a mother or father. And if they have grown up with a mother or father, they've grown up without the love of the mother and father. And so they have naturally been inclined to get into sin because they need to feel something. You know, when you don't feel love, you've got to feel something somewhere. And so you'll turn to lust and everything else to fill the hole that was left by the vacuum when you grew up. But when they come to the Savior and they're overwhelmed, even though they're the worst sinner you've ever experienced, when they're overwhelmed by the type of love that they can't comprehend, they can't understand, they can't explain because they've never experienced it, but when they do experience it, something clicks and happens in their life. And it's the type of love that changes somebody. Somebody once said that Satan cannot understand love because he's never experienced it. And I would think he'd experienced it before the fall, but demons don't understand love. But somebody who comes to Christ will understand it and they'll experience it and it'll change them forever. Psalm 23, 5, it says this. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. And that's our God. He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And sometimes we think, well, who's our enemy? You know, but I, I thought about this is when Peter is running back and, and, and God's right there on the shore. Jesus is right there on the shore and he's preparing a table for Peter with food on it. Who is Peter's enemy? But himself and what's inside of him. And what's inside of us. And we've we got to understand when we've been remade, those things have been separated from who we are. But the enemy that I see in ourselves is who he's setting a table before us in front of. Anger, unforgiveness, bitterness, jealousy, lust. The enemies of our soul. And in the midst of the enemies of our soul, Jesus is there preparing a table for Peter, who he's called. Who he's separated from his enemies. And who he knows is still struggling with his enemy. He sets a table before us. And the table's been set with love. And so even in the midst of our sin, Jesus supplies us with what we don't deserve. And it has the power to confound our minds. It does. It has the power to confound our minds. Who are we to deserve such a great Savior? And so Peter comes back. He has this meal. This, this, this food is set before him. And the last point I want to make is Jesus establishes a love. And it's not his own love, but he establishes a love in Peter that Peter didn't know he had. You know, we, we hear Jesus say those things, you know, Peter, do you love me? And we think it's for Jesus' sake. And, and Peter even said, Jesus, you know, you know everything. Why are you asking me this? It's because he wanted Peter to know that he truly loved him. Jesus knew Peter loved him. 
Even when he denied him, Jesus knew Peter loved him. But Peter didn't know Peter loved him. And so Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Because Peter had, you know what? Yeah, I really do love you. He had to confirm to Peter that yes, in fact, I do love you, Lord. And I failed. But it doesn't mean I don't love you. I failed because, because I'm a failure and I need you. So Jesus confirms his love. And he welcomes Peter on the shore. He makes breakfast. He proves to Peter Peter's own love for Peter's sake. And Jesus says this to Peter. He says, I think it's in Mark 14. He says, do you love me more than the others? Do you love me more than these others? And I, I like that because he, he, he's saying, he's proven to Peter something. You see, the mule... The mule is now subsided. The stubborn man is now subsided who was so quick to say, Lord, all these other ones are going to deny you, but me, man, I am awesome. And I'm not going to fall in the face of death. I'm going to go through it. I'm tough. And so Jesus hits right to that spot. Don't you love it when that happens? When he hits right to your spot. And he hits right to that spot and he says, Peter, do you love me more than these others? As if to say... Remember when you said this? Let's confirm it with this. Do you love me more than these others? And Peter says, yes, I do. I think we get to that place where we become so self-assured that we think we'd never do anything like that. We look at the news, we turn the news on, and we see the horror of the news. You know, I, 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 not to bring this story up, but last week or the week before, I heard a story and I turned on the news that was about a lady that that decapitated her kids. And I'm like, really? I'm like, wow, how do you do that? You, know, you hear the most horrific things on the news. But me and my self-righteousness gets to the point where I say, I would never do anything like that. How could they? You know, and we're so quick to say those things. And we judge in our pride, but the truth is we don't know what we're capable of Amen. if we're not tethered to the Lord Jesus Christ. We allow self-righteousness to come in and we say those things so haphazardly like, I would never. But do we really know the depths of our heart? Jeremiah says your heart's desperately wicked. And you have to know the state of your heart. And we have to know, by knowing the state of our heart, we also know the state of our necessity to be tied and tethered to Jesus Christ because we're capable of anything apart from Him. And that's why we need Him so much. But he knows us better than we know ourselves. And I, I love that. And the fact that he knows us better than we knows ourselves, he knows that we need to be tethered to him too. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our shortcomings. He knows our prejudice. He knows our thoughts. And he loves us anyway. And he loves us anyway. And he loves us anyway. And sometimes it's us that look at, upon ourselves with failure and think, Lord, you'll never accept me, but he's already accepted you because he already knew who you were. So why do you in your standard of righteousness, count yourself out when Jesus in His standard of righteousness never did. Maybe you feel like you let Him down. And you know, I let Him down, how can He accept me back? Because He loves you anyway. So maybe today is the day where you run back to Him. Maybe today is the day where you allow Him to restore your heart as he restored Peter's heart.
Maybe today's the day that you understand that you really do love Him. And that you were meant to fail anyway because who are you other than a failure? If you weren't a failure, you wouldn't need a Savior. But we do need Him. Acts 3.19 and 20, it says this. It says, repent. Change your mind and purpose. Turn around and return to God that your sins may be erased, blotted out, wiped clean. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that He may send to you the Christ who before was designated and appointed for you, even Jesus. Are you ready for a time of refreshing? Have you lived so long in a time of dryness? Counting yourself out, discounting yourself because of what you think you've done. But Jesus never discounted you and he never counted you out. He already knew who you were before you ever did anything. And he knew you were a failure. That's why he came as a savior. That's why he made up for every part you don't have. And that's why you need to be tethered to him today, every day, yesterday. You need to run back. I'm going to read this. Nick had this up. I was getting a sermon ready this morning, and I, I didn't see it last night, but I saw it this morning, and I thought, man, it made me cry. And I, I don't know if she presented it to the women on Wednesday night, but if she did, I'm sorry, I'm going to reread it. She doesn't even know I'm reading it. But I minimized everything, and I was done. I printed out my sermon, and I looked over here, and I found this, all this, and I thought, oh, my word. And it went perfectly. And I read it, and it, it struck to my heart because I need to hear it. And maybe you need to hear it this morning. But Colossians 3.13, it says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. It says, learning to forgive myself. It says, guilt is our friend. If you're like me, it's a friend you don't want showing up on your doorstep. But more than likely, without it, you would go on in wrongdoing until you became dominated and defeated by it. Guilt is an alarm that points to our own misconduct. Yet instead of heeding the alarm, we ignore it. We rationalize it, we deny it, we excuse it, we drown it or drug it. What we rarely do is to use our guilt for good, letting it redirect and thus transform us into better people. We tend to let it consume and destroy us. Much like drinking poison, guilt and the inability to forgive ourselves can slowly eat away at who we are, can rob us of our inner peace, and ultimately shatter our spirits. The dictionary definition of forgive is to stop blaming the benefits of forgiveness are gifts to both the giver and the receiver because to stop the blame game and to forgive ultimately releases us from resentment and allows us to experience freedom and peace. Despite this, we still struggle with forgiveness, finding that the hardest person to forgive is often our own self. Have you ever done something, said something that was so horrific, something that you so regretted doing or saying that you couldn't forgive yourself? Have you relived whatever it was over and over again, each time thinking differently? If only, if only. Has the unforgiveness turned into deep bitterness and even self-hatred? I understand. For three years, I was my husband's full-time caregiver. I loved the role. But on this day, two years ago, in August 17th, I found him unresponsive in our pool. Three days later, my beloved husband of 49 years, Danny, went to heaven on my watch and thus began a difficult journey of forgiveness of myself. If I kept blaming myself and wallowing in the guilt, I knew I would spiral down into bitterness and self-hatred. I could actually feel the downward spiral, the downward pull, 
into that black hole the moment I found Danny. My journey to forgive myself began with a simple prayer. God, I am so sorry. Danny's death was my fault. I have failed to obey your calling to care for him. I am so sorry. For two days, that's as far as I got on my journey. God, I'm so sorry. God, I'm so sorry. God, who loved my husband and who loves me, used doctors, nurses, and friends to comfort me. I was told that there was no evidence Danny had drowned or had a heart attack, but it seemed that he simply had gone to sleep in the water. But I was still left with the stinging self-flagellation of blame, guilt, and all the what-ifs and if-onlys. Then God seemed to whisper to my broken, grief-stricken, guilt-ridden heart, and I forgive you. The blood of Jesus is sufficient for the forgiveness of any and all sins, including your temporary neglect of Danny and subsequent death. You have said you were sorry. You asked me to forgive you, and I have. Now accept my forgiveness and my timing. I called him home when his life was complete. I had numbered his days. Trust me and forgive yourself. As I thought about it, I reasoned, if God says he forgives me, who am I to say, God, thank you, but I just can't forgive myself. Am I greater than God? Are my standards of righteousness higher than his? If he forgives me, I really have no option but to accept his forgiveness and forgive myself. So I did. With humble gratitude and thanksgiving, then the peace came. Once we tell God we're sorry for our sin and failures and accept his forgiveness, then forgiving others, including ourselves, is an act of worship. It's a decision we make not only in obedience to God's command, but also in response to his own love, grace, and mercy extended to us, pure and simple. How can you or I accept God's forgiveness, then turn around and withhold our forgiveness of someone else. So would you make a decision to forgive now? Tell God you're sorry for whatever it is. Ask God to forgive you, then turn around and forgive the other person, especially if that person is yourself. Why? For the simple reason that God has forgiven you, and living in his forgiveness is where peace is found. You stay with me. Now close our eyes for a minute. And I don't know if you needed that this morning. But maybe too long the heaviness has weighed upon you and it has stopped you from living the life that God intended for you to have, for living in the fullness that God intended for you to live in. The joy, the blessing, the freedom, the peace. Maybe you just keep going through self-incriminations and Declaring to God how much of a failure you are, you are, over and over again. But today is the day to stop. Today is the day to run back and to be welcomed by this Savior who offers you complete love and provision no matter what you've done. Isn't today the day where you run back to Him? Cast all your failures at His feet. Understand that He knows you better than you know yourself. And that the only way that you can go forward in victory is to go forward overwhelmed with the love that He has for you, regardless of who you think you are. He knows who you are because He made you. He knows who you are even though you failed because He knew you would fail. And He loves you anyway. Can you just say this morning, Lord, forgive me all my sin for where I failed you. Maybe it's a specific sin, but Lord, forgive me and then take it away. All the guilt. Lord, I lay all the guilt at your feet. If I need to get something right, Lord, I'll get it right with someone else, but otherwise, Lord, you, even though 
will remove all the stains, all the guilt, all the blots. Father, I no longer want to live with this heaviness. But I accept your love and your provision for my life. Help me to rely on you and not be a mule, Father, who's so stubborn and won't listen. But help me to listen to your voice and accept how much you love me. I accept your freedom today. I accept your care today. I accept your cleansing today. And Lord, we love you. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. <clears throat>